Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're kindly joined by Craig Martin, who is the chairman of Dynam Capital, the manager of the Investment Trust Vietnam Holding. Craig, thank you very much for being on the podcast this morning. Uh, very good morning to you and, and thank you very much for having me. So a lot of listeners will be familiar with, with Craig and, and Vietnam Holding because he has uh, presented on one of our virtual conferences um, in recent months. So they would have got some good insight uh, into Vietnam Holding. But there's been um, quite a lot of activity um, at, the, the, at the trust and also the, the bigger picture in Vietnam. So that's what we're going to be touching on um, today, especially the investment opportunity in Vietnam itself. So um, before we get into it, Craig, would you be able to give us a brief overview of Vietnam Holding, please? Sure. So Vietnam Holding, or VNH, is an investment trust listed on the premium segment, the main board of the London Stock Exchange. It's got a net asset value of about 190 million US dollars and is invested exclusively in the exciting growth market of Vietnam, uh, where it has a portfolio of about 26 companies, all Vietnamese companies. And Dynam Capital, of which I'm the chairman, is the manager of that. So it's a very concentrated portfolio. Vietnam Holding has been a signatory of what's known as the Principles Responsible Investing. Uh, for more than a decade. And so all we do is very much aligned with good governance, good ESG. Uh, and so we're very much a responsible investor, but also able to generate very good investment returns for our uh, UK uh, and European-based investors. So Craig, so saying then and talking about investment returns, uh, in actual fact, Vietnam Holding was the best performing investment trust in the UK in May. Um, there's obviously going to be lots of different factors at play here, but would you be able to give us a, an overview of what you feel was driving that performance uh, in, in May? Sure. So, yes, Vietnam Holding is listed on the, on the London Stock Exchange. So its net asset value uh, was the top performing for any investment trust in May. Its uh, share price is still lagging a little bit behind its at about a 20% discount to its net asset value. So its share price increase, I think, was the second highest of investment trusts. But the net asset value, what the fund owns, uh, was up about 15% in May. And in the calendar year, um, about 37%. And if we go back a little bit further to our financial year, which started on 1st of July 2020, then the fund is up about 90%. Uh, and if you compare that perhaps to the broad uh, Vietnam index, then we've probably generated close to th almost 30% of outperformance or alpha. So obviously, we're very pleased with that performance, not only in terms of the, the top performing investment trust in the UK in May, but even if you look to all funds active in Vietnam, then we're the top performer, in fact, for year to date at the end of May. Um, and look, and why is that? Well, simple source, really. Um, it's about stock selection and portfolio construction. And about two years ago, we did a deep dive into the banking sector. And we started to allocate a little bit more to the banking sector about 18 months ago. 
at that point, we had about only 8% of the portfolio in banks. And then we started to allocate more. During the, the sell-off of lots of stocks during COVID last year, uh, globally, but in Vietnam as well, we, we started to allocate to more Vietnamese banks. Uh, and they're now about 30% of the portfolio. And banks have done really well, uh, partly because of the strong economic uh, gain that Vietnam made last year, the GDP rose 3% when the rest of the world was in recession, but also because of uh, reversal of provisions, better non-performing loan levels, these banks have been able to maintain the net interest margin and grow their, their lending activity and also leveraging their network, um, providing things like bank assurance where a bank uses its branch network, its ATM network for delivering um, other people's products and earns a fee that doesn't tie up much capital. So it's a very profitable business. So Vietnamese banks are starting to do that. And also bear in mind that Vietnam is still... Um, it's still a developing economy, and it's still underbanked. Less than, um, or about 60% of the adult population in Vietnam is unbanked. Uh, and the government has plans to have at least 80% of the adult population banked by 2025. So we see that in the banking sector, there's tremendous opportunity. Uh, and there's also opportunity for you know, digitalization, as people perhaps, there aren't any checkbooks in Vietnam, uh, there are a few credit cards, but people are going to kind of digital apps and wallets and these kind of things. So broadly, the banking sector has done very well for us. Uh, we've also got a large position in FPT, and we had a webinar recently about FPT, which is a software and telecoms giant. Tremendous growth in broadband internet, pay TV, um, providing um, IT services to Vietnamese domestic companies and uh, and also government agencies, but also to large Fortune 500 companies. Um, so that's been a terrific position that we've had for a couple of years uh, and our number one position. And our second largest position is in a company called HPG or Hua Fat Group, uh, which is now it's Southeast Asia's largest steel manufacturer. And it's a bit strange because, you know, in the UK and Europe, you can't give away steel factories, right? No one wants them. They're all bleeding money. Um, and you have to pay people to take them off your hands. Well, in Vietnam and Southeast Asia, particularly where you're building out infrastructure, you need steel and you need reinforced steel bar or rebar. Uh, and Hua Fat is, is the largest in Vietnam and the largest in Southeast Asia. So it's these some of these companies have been growing at 60, 70 percent in terms of their share price this year. Fat's looking to double its earnings this year. And some of our banks have also been growing at 60 to 100%. So um, the stocks we've chosen have done really well. Uh, and as a result, uh, Vietnam Holding has, has done really well. Uh, and its net asset value has, has risen uh, dramatically. Uh, as I say, the share price still got some way to go. There's a little bit of a discount there. So potentially a buying opportunity for people that are interested in looking at that. So, Craig, before we, we move uh, in, into more uh, details about the macro uh, picture in, in Vietnam, I, I just want to touch on, on the stock market there and activity in, in, in the stock market. I mean, here in the UK, uh, it's commonly known uh, and uh, quite a popular phrase that uh, the stock market is not the, the economy. If you look at the FTSE 100, uh, a lot of revenue, but the lion's share of revenue is earned overseas. So in no way a reflection of what's happening in the underlying economy here in the UK. Um, but I mean, if you look at the Vietnamese 
uh, stock market. I mean, how much is that true for uh, Vietnamese shares in terms of reflection of the underlying uh, economy of, of Vietnam itself? And, and how active is the, the, the stock market in Vietnam, given there's a, there's a um, you know, top performing economy in, in 2020, South, Southeast Asia, sorry, top performing economy in 2020. I mean, is, is that activity reflected in the stock market? It's a great question. Look, I think the simple answer is yes. I think there's a lag, but much more of probably of the Vietnam story is captured in the stock market than, say, the UK story is captured in the UK stock market. And that's partly because Vietnamese companies are mainly domestic. They're not, uh, they don't go overseas too much and they're not investing outside of Vietnam and foreign companies aren't listing in Vietnam. So really the companies in Vietnam are Vietnamese champions uh, around that. It should be said that actually um, not all of that GDP activity is captured though yet, this lag effect. Um, there are large you know, state-owned companies and large businesses which perhaps have foreign investment that are not listed. But what we've found as a way to capture that is through the banks. So the banks do capture all of that GDP story uh, and some of the banks are listed and we've invested in those banks. So there is a way to kind of capture a larger part of that activity. And so as you rightly say, Vietnam was the highest growth market, if not the world, certainly in Asia last year, at just under 3% GDP growth. And this year looks to be back on track at 6 to 7% GDP growth on its kind of 30-year average. So although there's a lag and you know, big GDP growth doesn't necessarily automatically translate to fast stock market growth, the trend is very positive. Uh, and as for the activity, well, it's remarkable. If you look at the, the, the Vietnamese stock market, it's grown from probably less than $300 million in market capitalization uh, in the period of time I've been investing in Vietnam, less than 20 years, it, it's, it's grown to something like 260 billion. And daily liquidity uh, in the market has gone up five times, probably over the last 18 to 24 months. So lots more local investors. And these are perhaps you know, a, a, an element of this kind of growing wealth effect in Vietnam. People have got apps, they're smartphone enabled. Vietnam has a high penetration of smartphones. Uh, and people are looking to get involved and excited by the stock market. Interest rates are low. Uh, the apps allow them to you know, open bank accounts and, and, or, or trading accounts and to do their documentation through the mobile phone. And they're following some of the top companies in Vietnam. Fortunately uh, for us, you know, a number of the companies in our portfolio. So the activity is, is, is manic, actually. It's um, significant levels of activity, much more than people would expect, and so much so that Vietnam is probably the second most liquid stock market in the whole of Southeast Asia, or ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. Probably only Thailand is more liquid. Um, and interestingly, Vietnam is still classified as a frontier market, although with that liquidity and the size of the stock market and the turnover, it's got many of the characteristics of a full-blown emerging market. So it's, uh, yeah, the stock market is an exciting place to be. You've got to be on the ground, though. Things move very quickly. And so, you know, we've got a team based on the ground in Ho Chi Minh City, researching the opportunities, kind of smelling where the, uh, the, the uh, opportunities lie and, and really helping us kind of form uh, multi-year uh, narratives about these companies. And then also 
you know, determine when things are going well and when things aren't. And we can, you know, very nimbly correct and, and change our position. So I think it's important to be on the ground because um, you know, Vietnam is high growth, but there's also volatility. So that's got to be uh, taken into consideration as well. So, yeah, remarkably active stock markets, uh, probably about two and 2.3 million stock trading accounts in Vietnam, which is probably a little bit less than the UK. Um, and in the last year, probably half a million new accounts have been opened. So there's a lot of new interest, new excitement about the stock market in Vietnam. So we've obviously highlighted there a very active uh, stock market, which, as you said, has changed dramatically in terms of volumes over the last 20, 24 months. But you've been there for some time on, on the ground in, in Vietnam. If we go back to, to the uh, economy now and the country itself, I mean, how have you seen it change over uh, the years, Craig? And, and do you feel that it changed for, for the better or, or the worse? And, and what's your reasoning behind that? Well, look, it's very interesting. I've had the fortune of being involved in Vietnam for you know, 20, 27 years now. Um, and it's changed significantly. When I was first there in the early 90s, um, as a businessman, but also, you know, you saw foreign tourists there you know, seeking refuge in the air-conditioned uh, coffee shops and, and then snapping pictures of these funny Vietnamese people with these strange conical hats sitting on these small plastic chairs outside drinking uh, iced, very strong iced coffee and eating noodles. And it looked exotic and strange. Um, you know, 27 years later, the Vietnamese are increasingly, you know, becoming middle income and aspiring to middle income activities. So the young Vietnamese are inside the air-conditioned cafeterias, snapping uh, Instagram pictures of their, you know, lattes. And outside, the foreign tourists are sitting on these little plastic chairs and they're wearing the funny hats and they're taking pictures of their Instagram feeds. So there's been a big turnaround in terms of the, the wealth effect. I'd say also... You know, it's, it's a much busier place now. Traffic is a lot worse. You used to see in the early 90s, uh, beautiful flowing uh, silk owl's eyes, you know, the Vietnamese dress on, on people on bicycles. It was all very genteel and charming. Uh, now, millions of motorbikes uh, and increasingly cars, though I think only probably about 23 cars per thousand people were in China. It's probably 10 times that level already. So I suspect over time we'll see more cars come onto the streets. So it's, it's a busier place. But the fundamental uh, attractions of Vietnam are there. It's the Vietnamese people want to uh, do better than their parents uh, and they think they're better off than their parents and they think their kids will be better off than them. So there's this onward march of progress in Vietnam and they're very hardworking. They're very entrepreneurial. You've got a hundred million population. We joke it's a hundred million entrepreneurs. Um, and they're always creating new business opportunities for themselves and their families and their community. So it's a, a place that's always very interesting to see it grow uh, and change. And we'll continue to do so over the next uh, decades, I'm sure. So you obviously touched on that entrepreneurial nature of uh, of Vietnam, which um, for, for, for some listeners may, may seem um, strange, given that uh, Vietnam is a, is a communist country still. I mean, how has the attitudes towards business changed and, and, and making money, given, given the backdrop of um, com communism, but obviously 
um, that the population, as you said, there are, are very much trying to seek out new opportunities and, and profit from that. Yeah, look, um, about, about 30 years ago, Vietnam set out uh, a policy which is really to embrace um, an economic model which is more capitalist, although the country, as you say, is, is one of, of, of a communist structure uh, and hasn't changed from wanting to see that uh, economy develop. And, you know, it's lifted many, many millions of people out of poverty over that period of time. Every five years, uh, the Politburo and the central government machine changes. There's a five-year cycle. And this year is the start of the, of the next five years. And the incoming government has reaffirmed that it, it wants to see Vietnam continue that, it wants to see Vietnam emerge as a more modern industrialized nation, become a, a middle-income country and a key part of the, of the region's supply chain. So it's very much a capitalist economy, uh, perhaps within a communist kind of party structure, but one that's very outward-looking. It's not insular. It's a big trading nation. It's stepped onto the world stage. It's signed up many bilateral trade deals and multilateral trade deals. And last year was the chairman of ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. And, you know, Vietnam's really on the regional stage with global ambitions. So it's, um, it, 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 it works. It works well in Vietnam, able to deliver economic benefits to its people, despite perhaps having a much more kind of traditional political uh, social structure. So, I mean, we're going to go on, and, and of course, uh, this is uh, you know, very important. We're going to go on and discuss COVID and what's been happening there because um, there's been a bit of a shift in uh, variants uh, in, in uh, Vietnam and, and how uh, they've been dealing with it. But before we, we do that, you mentioned just previously, Craig, uh, Vietnam's actually still classified as a frontier market, which, which for me is fascinating this um, classification between frontier market and emerging market, in, in my mind, there's quite a big difference uh, in in those two um, classifications there in, in economy. I mean, do, do you think that it's fair that Vietnam is still classified as, as a frontier market? And, and what what do you think it needs to do to, to sort of step up into that classification of uh, emerging markets along the lines of, um, you know, for example, um, China, uh, Brazil and, and India. What, what does, do you feel that the economy and the investment community needs to see from Vietnam to, to make that shift? Look, it's clearly a disconnect. I've had the privilege of working in many frontier markets uh, around uh, South Asia and Southeast Asia and many emerging markets. And some of the countries that emerging markets are a lot worse than Vietnam on many dimensions. They're, ha they're classified as an emerging market, but Vietnam's got uh, a much better scorecard. I, I, I joke for people that have ever played top trumps, you want to have the Vietnam top trump because that's the card that's going to win at the end of the, the day in terms of its growth, the size of the economy, uh, the number of listed companies, the size of the stock market, the daily liquidity. So, yeah, it should be an emerging market. Um, it's still got a few kind of infrastructure issues that mean it's classified as frontier. Uh, there are still some uh, restrictions on sectors that some com companies, uh, there's a foreign ownership limit. Now, in other places like Thailand, they've dealt with that through having a foreign bourse using things such as non-voting depository receipts that give you the economic benefit without being seen as, a, uh, as the control of the company going into foreign hands, quotes, unquotes. 
Um, so Vietnam hasn't done that yet. Um, a number of the companies are at a foreign ownership limit, and we have a number of those in our portfolio. But the path is towards being an emerging market, uh, front and, and foremost, and uh, in name as well as in substance. So the, the regulators and the government want to you know, address where they can. They want to improve the infrastructure. They're looking at a new trading system to you know, deal with the, both the, the high volume of, uh, of daily trades now, which is causing it to creak a little bit, uh, but also to reduce the settlement period uh, from you know, T plus three over time down to T plus zero and to have central depository and to make it a much more level playing field. And they've, they've done a lot. They, there are new financial innovations. You can buy domestic ETFs. You can buy warrants and derivatives. And companies are getting better at disclosing information, both in English as well as in Vietnamese. So it will take time. It's probably you know a couple of years away uh, from, from that. So um, yeah, one day, uh, hopefully it will be seen as an emerging market um, more gen- generally uh, in a couple of years. And then I think it opens it up to a lot more investors. So at the moment, Vietnam would be the largest frontier constituent. So about 30% of the frontier index is represented by Vietnam today. Whereas over time, it should be probably a smaller uh, percentage of a much larger pie of the emerging market uh, world and um, should should do well and attract a lot more flow of money. So that's something I think to keep an eye out as potentially a catalyst for you know, re-rating in the future. Certainly a process I'm going to be watching with some, uh, some interest there, Craig. So let's move on to COVID. Uh, unfortunately, COVID is still a a topic that must be discussed because it's you know it's obviously impacting uh, economies around the world, including Vietnam. But there has been a bit of a shift because we spoke before Craig and and, and Vietnam through through their actions had um, you know one of the best um, um, sort of rates of, of infection um, in in terms of you know keeping it relatively low. I mean, how's that progressed over the past? Um, 12 months or so, six months. I understand that there's a, a potentially a new variant there which is causing some issues. What does the picture look like there and, and how do you feel this is going to impact the economy this year in Vietnam? Yeah, look, um, a, a, a great question. I, th- I think it'd be lovely, won't it, to be able to talk when COVID isn't a, a subject for discussion. And I think many parts of Southeast Asia are recognising that you know, COVID is not only a pandemic, it's actually also endemic. It's something we're going to have to get used to living with, um, particularly for the short to medium term, as these new variants pop up and emerge. Um, We've seen in places like Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, uh, Japan, Taiwan, um, as well as in Vietnam, uh, new variants uh, emerge. I think it's they've got Greek letters now. I think it's Delta is the variant, uh, which was first seen in India, but the variant, I think, politically correct term is, is Delta. Um, so that's emerged in Vietnam in, in May. It's quite virulent as, as viruses are. And um, it's popped up and appeared in a couple of provinces. And actually, the cases have increased. So you're right, last year, Vietnam had a tremendously successful kind of uh, run with, with COVID. And the numbers were very low in terms of infections and uh, very few deaths. In May, uh, there's been some new uh, variants emerge and more cases. Uh, probably now the number of uh, cases probably up to five or six thousand, and sadly a few more deaths, around about sixty. But when you put that in the context of 
100 million people and a population, um, that's still a, a pretty good uh, low number. And the government have shown a couple of things. They've been very, uh, throughout the last 18 months, they've been very decisive, strong in communication, quick to act. And as we know, the virus, if anything, it thrives on ambivalence. And, and Vietnam really hasn't taken its eye off the ball. So it's put Ho Chi Minh City, the second largest um, uh, city, onto uh, a couple of weeks of extended social distancing. We're in the second week of that. And a number of provinces have had um, some other restrictions put in place. But signs are, are positive that the authorities are getting on top of these new cases. Um, and clearly on the longer term, I think everyone wants to see vaccination levels increase. In Southeast Asia, different to the UK, vaccination levels are low. Um, Thailand, much, you know, much a more developed country, I think they're about under 2% of the population vaccinated. Vietnam's less than 1.5%. Um, and so it's starting to scale up and, and look to do more vaccination. But uh, Southeast Asia needs to get more vaccine. So Vietnam has put up its hand saying it has the capability to manufacture vaccines um, under license from other countries and over time actually also to innovate and produce its own vaccine. So clearly this will take time. The vaccination process will take time. So consequence of that is it's likely there will be very strict border control measures for some time in Vietnam. Uh, it doesn't stop the flow of goods and services that Vietnam supplies to the world stage. So I think the market is rightly looking through this and um, the, the numbers and the growth coming through the companies, although there might be a little bit of diminution during May uh, for some of these companies, I think that the four-year prospects still look strong and Vietnam's growth still looks as if it would be on that 30-year track of 6 to 7%. And uh, the stock market is performing well because it's, I say, it's looking through that to see that these companies could see their profits grow significantly. So the market's probably pricing in a you know, 30% earnings per share growth for this year, for the full year of 2021. Our portfolio is probably about 40, 43%, maybe a little bit more. And yet on a price earnings of, of 11 times. So there's still tremendous growth. And there's tremendous value. And Vietnam's shown that it's able to orchestrate strong defense when needed. Um, and Vietnamese companies have responded sociably and well and looked after their staff. And the community has really rallied around uh, getting through COVID. Uh, and as with the rest of the countries, we want everyone to get through it because no one's safe until everyone's safe kind of thing. So... Uh, yes, still, still our cases, still our, um, you know, it's it's a cause for concern whenever it pops up. Um, but Vietnam has the ability, I think, to take decisive action and to try and uh, control these cases as and when they emerge. Lovely, thanks. So, just want to move on now, um, Craig, and, and we've obviously been discussing what what's happening in. In, in Vietnam and, you know, what's happening with, with COVID and what's been driving the economy so far. But I want to look now, um, you know, going forward in, into the into the future. Um, there's two things that I think we should explore here. First of all, uh, you know, looking at the, the equity markets, you discussed their uh, value and, and earnings performance going forward, which we'll elaborate on. And then after that, I think maybe just look at, you know, economic growth going forward and then the composition of the economy. So first of all, 
um, Craig, you know, look, looking at the um, Vietnamese uh, stock market, had a very strong run, as, as we've discussed. Um, you said there's some value there, but how do you see the rest of um, 2021 playing out, given that we've had such a strong move? There is value there. Um, I mean, do, do you see um, selling May and go away, as, as we see here in... <laughs> Uh, the Western world sometimes, I mean, it, it's, it's a bit of a myth, a statistic, don't really back up selling May and go away <laughs> for the past few years here. I mean, is there anything similar in, in Asian markets and Vietnam? I, I grew up with that in the UK, the selling May and go away. In Vietnam, it doesn't work. Um, partly, it's a volatile market. You need to be on the ground smelling the trades and the activity. Uh, and if you go away, you'll, you'll miss something. And so having our research team all on the ground uh, really helps. We think there's tremendous uh, growth still ahead. Uh, we think that the banks are well positioned and also some of the stockbrokers. Uh, both of these will be looking to raise uh, capital, probably through rights issues, and then expand their businesses, expand their books, their lending business, um, their uh, capital market activities. And for some of the brokerages, they provide a margin lending to uh, retail investors. So in some ways, they act a bit like a bank. So once they've replenished their capital, we see that that, will, that activity will like, likely grow. Real estate is also a sector we think has some good growth prospects um, for this year and beyond. We've, we've held a number of names in the real estate sector. This is part of the urbanization trend as people get wealthier and want to perhaps move into communities where they've got better access to infrastructure and shopping and schooling and these kind of things. And in a relatively low interest rate environment and people feeling a bit wealthier, uh, we think that the real estate sector will, will grow well this year. The consumer sector, obviously, when you have periods of kind of social distancing and people aren't going out so much, traditional retail suffers. And there's a big push to e-commerce and Vietnam is growing a tremendous e-commerce market. Uh, but those consumer stocks typically are, are long-term com compounding stocks. We have one in our portfolio, uh, PNJ. It's a, a jewelry retailer. We've held it for about 10 years in the portfolio, and our total return to, against our cost is about 10 times. So it's a, a 10x uh, return, which is tremendous. So if you, hold, if you find some of these good consumer stocks and prepare to hold them, they can compound their earnings, and they can grow at 20% per annum uh, without any great difficulty. So we see tremendous growth still in the portfolio. I'd say the full year, probably, you know, 40% EPS growth. We've had a very strong first um, five months or so. Uh, you know, maybe it's time for the market to take a breath. But actually, we think, you know, by the second half of the year, that there'll be good growth ahead. Plus, also, the government wants to continue this infrastructure push. So infrastructure requires building materials. So that should favor uh, steelmaking companies, um, and also new technologies, efficiencies coming into some of these businesses in terms of e-commerce uh, and other means of addressing their consumers might mean that you know, their margins see some improvement as the you know, full economic uh, recovery, not only in Vietnam, but globally starts to come through. So again, that could drive the bottom line. Uh, and we see top line growth and bottom line growth and so that expansion in, in earnings per share growth well beyond its kind of five-year average. Um, and then again, when you're looking at a market that's relatively uh, reasonably priced, um, so the market's probably on about a 14 or 15 times PE, 
our portfolio, the Vietnam holding portfolio, is probably on about an 11 times PE. So for that growth, we think that's uh, uh, great value and, and a good trade-off. Yeah, certainly if you compare that to Western indices, particularly I mean the United States, uh, for example, uh, relatively good value um, there. But of course, different different markets. So just to finish off now, Craig, um, I'd, I'd like to look at Vietnam and, and then make try and make comparisons. Uh, in the region, of course, on the northern border of Vietnam is, is China. And, and you, you've touched on there on um, the consumer and, and e-commerce in, in Vietnam and, and how banking's driving things forwards with digital uh, offerings. I, I mean, when we look at China, I, I try and make comparisons and, um, you know, think, is there any relation between the growth in China and what's happening in Vietnam. Of course, in China, uh, very much started with manufacturing um, and they shifted towards um, the consumer side of things and, the, and they're um, becoming more reliant on domestic consumer demand for their economic um, growth than they were, say, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, when we're making comparisons to, to Vietnam, are they... Um, on a similar traje- trajectory, or have they really sort of skipped out that heavy manufacturing element of, of growth? And, and really now the focus is going to be on the consumer and e-commerce and the digital economy going forward? Well, it's a really good question. I, I think there are clearly uh, many similarities on the tra- trajectory, uh, but some important differences. Um, I would say on the, the similarities, in Vietnam, probably between you know, 2000 and t- 2018, uh, maybe the GDP per capita probably trebled in Vietnam. Um, and it's now got to about 3,000 US dollars per capita. During that period of time, almost 50 million people were lifted out of poverty. So in the same way, China, perhaps you know, a decade before that, had a similar tremendous growth story and lifted hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. When China, interestingly, got to the same level of per capita GDP that Vietnam is at today, China then doubled again its economy or its GDP in five years. Um, obviously, China as a whole is clearly a country of several Vietnams in terms of population. Uh, but, they, but they do have a lot of similarities in terms of their Confucian, their East Asian mindset, hard work, great sense of, of community and adaptability. They also have some similarities in their political structures and similar drivers in in labor and advantages that you allude to in terms of manufacturing. I think some important differences, though. Vietnam is much more homogeneous, probably 90% of a single ethnicity, where China's actually got several ethnicities, um, and some of those obviously causing frictions, um, the, the, the issues with you know, the Uyghurs in, in the northwest of China and other areas where there's uh, long historical differences and China's such a big country and across man, many time zones. Um, but Vietnam um, has a much uh, perhaps geographic endowment. It's got a, a long coast. It's a, it's a narrow country. It's more concentrated population, maybe easier to connect with fiber optic, for example, so you get a greater, faster adaptation to new technologies and probably easier to govern in that way. It's also rich in agricultural commodities. Um, as with China, it can sell to China uh, fruits and vegetables that it grows in its climate. But another key difference is that Vietnam is a central part of ASEAN. 
the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, whereas China's not. Um, and China is naturally a threat to the US, and the US is kind of hegemony, whereas Vietnam's not. So Vietnam can't do everything that China does. It's attracting a lot of people that have been manufacturing in China for many years. And I've either, either seen the labor costs go up or tariffs increase, or are seeing, you know, they want to perhaps de-risk some of the political risk of the kind of US versus China bashing. And so many of those people are looking at Vietnam as a kind of, well, it's got many of the advantages that China benefited from, so let's take a look. And just attracting a lot of those manufacturers to come to Vietnam. So Vietnam goes to its own pace. But yes, I think your your observation, there are many of the successes in, in China that will be copied in Vietnam. And the, the move to digitalization. Uh, China's incredible. Everything's kind of electronic cash. People don't use physical cash in China pretty much. Uh, in Vietnam, the government's trying to push more on that in terms of uh, e-payments and using digital infrastructure. So I think Vietnam has the ability to kind of learn and see what's worked well in China and also to see well, what hasn't worked so well. And so probably its rate of adaption and its rate of growth will be uh, faster than China's, I, I imagine. Indeed. Very interesting, Craig. Thank, thank you very much. So um, just a note to anybody that, that's listening, um, there's going to be a link in the notes to this podcast, which will take you through to the Vietnam Holding website, where you'll be able to, to have a little bit more of a look around, um, have a look at the composition of the trust, um, and have a look at some of the fact sheets there. So do do that. Um, so Craig, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much indeed. Always a pleasure, Craig. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.